You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and if you do us a favor, wherever you are listening to us, if you wouldn't mind going over leaving us a rating and review. And if you are not already a subscriber, please subscribe. Really helps us out. And I have a confession to make, Katie. You do? Despite all of our talking about burnout prevention, I get burned out from time to time. That with everything that it is that we do, I do outside of the stuff that we do. People have been asking me for several years, Kurt, how do you do it? And I describe it more or less as like, it's a, it's a Ponzi scheme of time and energy that I'm just (laughs) borrowing (laughs) happiness from the future and time from the future and using it for all of my various projects. But I got to admit, I burn out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do too. And I've burned out big time. Uh, That's why I left community mental health as I was so burned out. And I burn out too. I I think about all the stuff we do and how we do borrow time. And I know that there are definitely times when I'm a a little crusty. You came across a couple of articles and we'll link to those in our show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. But you came to me before recording this episode and you said, I found that there's actually different kinds of burnout. And in my totally respecting my own time and energy and space, I did not read that article. And so I'm going (laughs) to let you explain to us, me and our audience today and be able to kind of understand what it is, because I'm guessing if there's different kinds of burnout, then we actually need to look at it from different kinds of treatment in order to fit whatever that specific need is. For sure. This is something where I've studied this for a little while. I've got a lot of different things, and I'll probably just throw a ton of stuff in the show notes that I think might be helpful. So some of it I'll try to talk specifically, like what article I'm looking at. Others might just be stuff that I will, you know, kind of figure out what I've said and go find it later, if that's okay with you. (laughs) At this point, you could come from anywhere. I have no idea. So All right. All right. Okay. Sounds good. I think the biggest thing that I uncovered both in my own journey from being an employee to being an entrepreneur and in actually trying to put together some talks that I was going to do, that there is a lot of research on employee burnout and not as much on entrepreneur burnout. And they're actually very different because we burn out for different things and we, we have a very different career if we're an employee or an entrepreneur. And so to start out with that, I want to just kind of comment on that because there's also different types of burnout, but this, there's a different way we burn out. And I, and I want to make sure I highlight that. So if we think about employees, they're told when their workday starts, they're told what to focus on, what to prioritize. I mean, some people are less guided by their supervisors or their managers, but they have metrics, they have you know, potentially even parameters of when they take lunch, when they have breaks, definitely workday start and end. And also kind of 
what types of decisions they can make. So there's prioritization that can happen. You can have your supervisor tell you what to prioritize, but it can also be that your boss decides what is work and what is not work. And your boss tells you what program you're going to work on or what potentially even like what clients you will see. And so in agencies, there's a lot of time the burnout is, I don't have time. I'm a cog in the machine. They feel very depersonalized because it's everything is kind of told to them. There are some some workplaces, and especially I think with with some you know kind of group practices or, or more trauma informed workplaces in the agency world, where as an employee or a contractor, if, if those still exist in the world, I know in California they've mostly gone away. But there is a certain amount of of agency or autonomy that you can have around who you see and what you do. But there's a lot of guidance as an employee. And so when that guidance chafes and when it seems disrespectful, folks can burn out because they feel incompetent, they feel depersonalized, they can feel a lot of things because they just don't have control. So far what you're describing, and I've had some of these conversations with with my wife about who's not in mental health. And she's in a in an industry where there's multiple levels of supervisors and managers above her, she does her job. And there's just aspects of it that just sounds so amazing of not having to make decisions and recognizing where your part in the system is. That's it, it just, you know, coming from maybe the, the burnout that I've been experiencing, which I think you're going to go to next, but isn't it that there's just, a grass is greener sort of aspect of like, I just wish that I could leave my workday behind once I'm done and I can go home and it's just, it's off. It's like, I get to go and complain about my day, but I'm not responsible for doing the nine or 10 or 50 million other things (laughs) go along with, you know, editing a podcast or getting case notes done or insurance billing done or whatever else it might be. Or, or like all of the conference stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's like we have so, that never ends. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the entrepreneur burnout, but there's, there's so many pieces to what you're talking about that we're going to have to unpack that little by little, Kurt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the, the grass can feel much greener. And it's so interesting. There was a period of time when I was doing the entrepreneur thing And I had one of my old mentors say, hey, we need help with supervision in an agency. Can you come in part-time and do it? And those were like dream hours, mostly because I wasn't truly an employee. I was was there helping out. So like all of the politics and the nonsense really just washed right over me. But I had like 10 or 15 hours a week where I knew exactly what I was doing. I got paid to sit and do it. regardless. (laughs) regardless. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, it was very specific that the, I had hours, I do it. And so it was something where the grass can be very, very much greener because on the entrepreneur side, there's the stuff that feels very obvious. It's, you know, there's the, the inconsistency with income, the having to kind of quote unquote hustle to get clients and to do stuff that feels kind of outside of what our work is, which is we need to market and we need to network and we need to do those things. But then if you think about kind of the flip side as well with entrepreneurs having to decide what is work, when does my workday start, when does it end, what do I prioritize, which, which thing do I do next, 
that stuff can be hugely overwhelming. And there's, there was an interview of Jay Barkley who goes into this in more depth. So I don't want to take credit for those insights, but it's something where when I, when I learned about this, when I started thinking about this, I was like, oh my gosh, like it's so different. And most of what we do is learn about employee burnout because there's so many of us, you know, in the world who are employees versus entrepreneurs. It's just a very, you know, like we're a little odd to be entrepreneurs, to be honest. Well, wouldn't you think that there would be some sort of entrepreneur that would make their thing seeking out entrepreneurial burnout? Are you trying to joke? Like, that's what I do, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense that if there's a large pool of people who burn out, then they're, they're going to be the easier ones to study and the ones to be able to get the large sample size of being able to contribute to this kind of research. But I'm curious where this is going. So I wanted to talk about both because therapists are both, right? There are therapists who are employees and there are therapists who are entrepreneurs. And knowing what causes burnout, I think, helps because it can it can give you a sense. Like for employees, finding an finding a, a organization that treats you like a human being, that you have enough autonomy while still having the structure that helps, that is kind of the, the grass is greener thing for the two of us that you have both of those things. And I think there's there's a lot you can do to do that. I understand that there are systems that are broken and that kind of stuff, but finding a place where you're really passionate about the work, it's there's parameters in place that help to, to kind of decrease these things that I was talking about earlier can be helpful. As an entrepreneur, I think you can set the decision fatigue that comes from having to decide every single thing, even what is work and what is not work, can go away if you actually put those parameters in place. You decide what work looks like, you set your schedule, you set reasonable expectations for yourself, those kinds of things. And so the the treatment, you know, kind of the the environmental treatment, so to speak, is very different depending on if you're an employee or an entrepreneur. But so I wanted to kind of do that as a foundation. But there's there's times when even it, with the best intentions, like you and I, I think are pretty savvy about trying to to set good boundaries and put work and, you know, kind of put our work into boxes. We have specific times we meet each week on one thing or another thing. Each of us have our solid practice days. We, we've set those things. We've made, we've kind of pre-made those decisions in a way that's, that supports us to not kind of get the typical entrepreneurial burnout. But but yet both of us still burn out, partly because I think we're so passionate about what we do that we do it to to the detriment of anything else. And I think that, you know, this is part of both of our personalities is that it, the things that we're passionate about, we're not going to not see it all the way through. And we're not going to stand behind something that's not of good quality and you know, this is, you know, stepping back for our audience here a little bit is that, you know, we throw out bad episodes that we just kind of stumble through some things and we're just kind of like, okay, this is not up to what we want to do. And that comes with a time and an energy and an emotional investment cost that really does start to wear down on you, especially when you're not seeing some of the successes in the time frame that you want or that your goals are just so far out in the distance time-wise like like our therapy reimagine conference that you know this is a once a year super awesome thing that i know that i'm going to be like super excited emotional about yep. once we're in it 
and forget completely all about the long efforts and stress that goes into it for the remaining 12 months out of the year. (laughs) And I think, and that really speaks to this idea of passion. I think there's also kind of the excellence mindset that I think can get into our perfectionism, but, but passion is fine as long as it's harmonious. I'm talking, speaking about an article that I saw in Harvard business review And so if it's harmonious, if you're able to kind of allow it to kind of ebb and flow, it's, it's fine. If it's obsessive, which I think, especially when we're already kind of run down, we can become kind of obsessive, Kurt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's when it, it becomes more of a difficulty. And this, this article, basically it says that the, the dark side of passion is it means that we do those things and don't do anything else. And so we never turn off. We're constantly kind of working in our minds on these things or actually taking the time to do it. And I think when that obsessive passion overwhelms you, it can be something that can lead to burnout. I think another piece that that talks about kind of the flexibility that's required as an entrepreneur can be hard for folks. And so if you're too rigid, so if you're rigid in how you pursue your passion, if you're rigid in how you handle all the changes that happen, that can be another thing for entrepreneurs that can lead to burnout. And so so allowing yourself to, to have the, the rest and the, the resilience to be able to, to manage those things are really important. Accepting that I'm an obsessed kind of entrepreneur in that I, I dive very deeply into things and you know through whatever kinds of mindfulness that I do try to bring into my day-to-day life to help balance out my burnout that even within my mindfulness I'm coming up with new ideas and new interests and new tweaks to things and podcast you know, ideas and <laughs> podcast ideas and blog ideas and teaching ideas and, you know, just diving into the things that I'm passionate about. And it's something where I, I know for me that, you know, I've been able to take on a certain level of flexibility, but being too flexible for an obsessed type person can really just create more opportunities to become more obsessed about more different things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I I think that there's, there's not, completely easy answers. I'm not going to solve the problem for you today, Kurt. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, so we talked about types of burnout. So let me, let me actually like dig into that a little bit because I think it's important. And this is coming from an ink article. There is overload burnout where people work harder and ever more frantically in search of success. They are willing to risk their health and personal life in pursuit of their ambition and they cope by complaining. So I'm actually reading from the article right now. And I read that. I was like, oh, no. This sounds like the best kind of burnout to have. <laughs> I think we have done this burnout so well. Like we have mastered overload burnout. It is mm-hmm. awesome. The second one, and I think this happens more frequently with employees, but it could happen with, I think, entrepreneurs who have or, or potentially our private practice people who have been in the business for a very long time under challenge burnout. And that includes not feeling appreciated, getting bored, a lack of learning opportunities, because these people find no passion or enjoyment in their work. They cope by distancing themselves from the job, and it leads to cynicism, avoidance of responsibility, and overall disengagement. 
you know, and I can see how overload burnout would lead to that, that, you know, and I, I said this early in the episode that I, I got to imagine that there's being able to figure out what kind you're, you're ultimately suffering from in order to create a fix. But I, I can see overload burnout leading into this. Yeah, I think that over time, when you just keep working and working and working and working and working and working because of pursuing this ambition, at some point you get exhausted and you start just doing the day to day. And you don't appreciate it, you start getting bored. And for our audience, you know, this is the needing to complete all of your hours while potentially taking on a second or a third job or family in. You know, needing to check off all of these boxes while still needing to be able to survive. And you know, I think that there's a, a way that our industry has kind of blamed the clinician for running into this without necessarily looking at this as a, as a bigger picture. There's a great article from Ben Caldwell Labs that we'll link to in the show notes that kind of addresses that specific angle of it, but really does seem like, you know, this is where it doesn't necessarily have to be things that you sign up for, but can just be life circumstances that you run into. For sure. And I think when we look at overload versus under challenge burnout, like the two of them aren't necessarily mutually exclusive because you could be working passionately on something and doing too much while in your, you know, kind of your day job, so to speak, you're really disengaged and feeling unappreciated. So I think, I think that there there's some understanding that needs to happen on what you're actually experiencing, but potentially it's it's a very unique kind of tailor made you know recipe that you're going to have to to create for yourself to really start addressing your own burnout or you know moral injury or or those types of things. The third type in this ink article is neglect burnout, and this is a result of feeling helpless at work. People may feel incompetent or unable to keep up with the demands of their job, and they intend to be more passive and unmotivated. So it really is something where you can have all three. You, mm. can, you can be working super hard in, in pursuit of your ambition, feel unappreciated, a little bit bored, potentially not having the opportunity to learn, and feel like you're not able to to meet the man's demands of the job. I mean, I think I feel like I've, I've just been describing kind of the typical response that a lot of newer clinicians have at agency work. Sure. And that neglect seemingly can come from either a overbearing work environment that just expects performance without providing the support to go along with it or a supervisor. But having been in leadership positions too before, and, you know, at the risk of making the mistake of the thing that I just spoke about from the Ben Caldwell article is I wonder, though, if there's also kind of a skills deficit that could be happening there that is in need of a, a self-assessment of being able to really look at what somebody needs to be able to perform in that position. But again, a good work environment would come to somebody who's underperforming and to have that kind of evaluation that's there. So I just talked myself around back to the good point of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, and, and I'm reading a book called motivation based interviewing, and it's about hiring the right people and people, you know, the, the best employees are self-motivated and passionate about the work and that kind of stuff. And so I've been trying to balance these same things 
as well. And I really come to this idea that there is a responsibility of workplaces to be healthy and engaging and nurturing and all of those things. But I think it is also the responsibility of each individual to do what they can and to take the steps to actively be in charge of their own career. And I think that there's a, there is a tension there that I think is hard, especially because, I mean, we could, we could just, you know, kind of pull out Ben's book and start, you know, reading it and uh, all the reasons why that's hard. But I think that there is this additional piece that if we say, oh, well, the system's broken, I need to give up, we're all going to be burned out and we're not going to be able to fix the system. And so I, I like to say, like, take control of what you can, set the boundaries, and then move on if you can't, if that environment is not serving you. And I know that there are limitations that are beyond this conversation around getting your hours or having stable income or those kinds of things. But I, I, this, this may be something where I need to have a debate with Ben on this. I do believe that we need to take some control over our own burnout or moral injury or whatever with the knowledge that the system is broken and that we're working within an, an, a broken system. I, I don't think that we need to blame our employees or we blame ourselves. I think it's just a matter of taking control. And I think, you know, it's being able to have that impact on the environment, which if if you are feeling in one of these burnout positions, then maybe the environment that you're in, the, the broken system, isn't going to be responsive to you taking control of kind of the boundaries that you need as far as, you know, meeting productivity standards or meeting the expectations of a supervisor who isn't clear what their expectations are. And to look at this not necessarily as just a individual aspect, but that there's a systematic burnout that happens too, that I see a lot of people who get promoted into agencies or some of the students that I teach talk about going out and interviewing for jobs where the interviewers are just exuding this burnt outness from, from the very beginning that makes it not an appealing work environment to be in in the first place. And we did talk about this in the burnout machine or the burnout system. I mean, we'll link to those episodes in the show notes because I know today we were wanting to talk more about entrepreneurial burnout and we got so excited about how this really shows up in agencies. And so I do want to switch back if that's okay with you, Kurt. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what I'm really looking at is with entrepreneurs, if we think that we're experiencing the same kinds of burnout in the same way as we did as an employee, we're going to miss it. And so I think looking at what leads us from these kind of agency jobs into private practice we're running from a system that is that is basically felt like we had no control. We've we are moving towards a place where we want to be ourselves and a human being. We're potentially exhausted, and I think, in truth, you know, the Maslich burnout in inventory kind of assesses that. You know, do you have overwhelming exhaustion? Are you, you know, the cynicism and detachment that can come from burnout and then kind of an, a sense of ineffectiveness or a lack of accomplishment. And so the system in agencies will lead to that. But when we look at when we go into entrepreneurship, when we have our own private practice and we start these businesses, all of those things are potentially true because we, we get this 
passionate need to help people. And that's, that hopefully comes back when you're getting ready for your private practice. You're like, oh my goodness, now I have this opportunity to do something. But to start a business takes a lot of time and energy. And oftentimes it means that we're doing things that don't quite fit for us. And so when we look at what we love to do, building a website, figuring out how to set up our electronic health record, figuring out which forms we want to use, potentially, you know, easing into networking or, or other types of marketing activities, that can feel very draining because we don't know how to do it and it's not our area of, of genius, so to speak. And so when we feel so drained, we can get exhausted and that's, that's one aspect of, of where burnout comes from. Those oftentimes are the places that we find ourselves complaining that the education we received in graduate school and our associateships, our internships didn't actually teach us to be there. So it's learning a completely new skill that takes up a lot of mental resources. It takes up a lot of ground building in areas that we don't feel prepared for. And so we're kind of balancing this you know, we're ready to launch, we have this experience, but we don't have these other foundational pieces that allow for us to go and succeed. And so the grindingness of setting up all of these little aspects, you mentioned earlier in the episode about, you know, just kind of decision making burnout of deciding thing after thing that really does have a toll on us that comes from, you know, an area that it really makes it easy to continue to avoid those aspects in building your business. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think if we, we look at locus of control, when we say our schools didn't teach us this, we're, and, and that means that we can't do it and we feel bad. We can get into learned helplessness. We can, you know, with this, the external locus of control, it really does not set us up for success. If we look at the internal locus of control, this is something, this is something new and I need to find my way to learn this. I need to get the proper support to get this done, whether it's delegating things or taking a class or getting a coach or whatever it is. I think when we take that action, and we get the support that we need, whether it's learning or, or actual, you know, kind of support, we're more likely to be successful and to, to have some of that decision fatigue going down. Yes, you have to make the decision on which, you know, website company you use, or you have to, to decide whatever. But, but when you're actually doing everything yourself or wishing that you could because you don't have the time or you're avoiding it, all of that stuff can really negatively impact you if you feel like the the control is outside of you, that you can't do anything because I wasn't taught this and this just sucks and it's so hard to be in private practice and I'm never going to make it. And that also speaks to this kind of the sense of ineffectiveness and lack of competence or accomplishment. Like it can be very hard to understand, you know, and to, like you get the first client, it's like, woohoo, but then it's like, okay, now I'm only making that amount each month, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, like it can feel very, it can be very easy to get into this really cynical place of, I didn't learn this. I don't know what to do. I'm exhausted and I don't, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to do this. Like, it's just, I'm, I'm so ineffective. And, and I think this is where people start talking about imposter syndrome. People start talking about kind of the hobby practice and the disdain. I mean, there's also the people that are like, I can't believe people charge that much. We should be doing it out of the goodness of our hearts. So there's all kinds of messages. 
But when we're caught in this cycle where we feel like this is completely out of our control and we're working so much harder and money's not guaranteed, it just is, it's so overwhelming. I don't know if this is necessarily the same thing as learned helplessness. It might very well be in me just kind of catching up on this, but it seems to feed into kind of this existential idea too of seeing others succeed more effortlessly than us and almost grasping onto these flaws or these areas of our practice that are neglected or underskilled that we continue to not invest time and energy into that because if we do and we become successful with that, then we really have to face how much success we actually have on the things that we are passionate about and the things that we build our identities around. I think you have to tell me more about that. I'm, I'm still grasping this. So if a clinician is really good at a particular treatment style or working with a particular population, but is not great at figuring out their office location, their marketing, their networking, whatever it is, that by not addressing the weaknesses in their practice, they can continue to blame that for the failure of their business. But if you go out and you become a really good networker and you set up your office systems really well, then you're left with this kind of idea of now having to face the results of a smoothly running business. And it comes back to, am am I actually as good as I think that I am at working with the clients, which is what I wanted to do in the first place. So as long as there's something else to blame, then there's kind of this safety of, well, the thing that's keeping me from being successful is my business systems. It's not that I don't have these clinical skills or that the clinical skills have changed since I really learned them and became passionate about them. And so I'm wondering if part of the burnout and the imposter syndrome is really learned helplessness, but in, in a way that can be utilized to help explain away the overall lack of growth. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. And I think kind of processing that, and I process out loud, so I'll process out loud right now. So many people put all of their, and this is obviously very black and white, but all of their failure on one thing. I don't, I'm not good at business systems, so I'm not getting the clients and I could do such great work if I could just get the clients. If somebody would just hand me the clients, it would be great. And, and it could be either I wasn't trained in school or, you know, the, the market's not there. It could be externally, you know, kind of placed or it could be internally placed. I'm just not good at marketing and that's why I don't have clients. And so when you get better at that, when you actually take action on it and you still don't have clients or you do and they don't stay or whatever, the new metric that comes up that says, hey, wait a second, maybe you need to work on your clinical school skills, that can be very hard. And I think that that's something where having success then raises the bar and that can be terrifying. And I think there's two places that I was thinking about this. One is you can have success and all of a sudden you have more clients than you know what to do with and you're not servicing them well because you don't have the systems in place. You can also find out, hey, I'm not as good as I thought I was. (laughs) You know, these clients aren't satisfied. I just, you know, it happened to be that the clients that came in when I was not marketing myself, they like me and others don't. 
But I think the other piece is that there's there's this safety in this limit. And to me, I, I, I joke with people who are, you know, kind of think considering doing consulting with me that you have these dreams that you've not implemented. They've been rattling around in your brain. And I've worked with people and sometimes it means that those dreams never come to fruition because they realize that they were just dreams and they weren't actually what they wanted. Because when you actually start implementing stuff, your understanding of it changes, your under, you know, the, the way that you move through the world changes. And so having all these coulda, woulda, shouldas or wishes and dreams that never actually get implemented can be this very comfortable place of, well, if I just had the right resources, or if I just had time, or if I just had this, I could have a totally different life. And so I think we're moving away from burnout. But I think in truth, when we're able to actually get things set up for ourselves and understanding that burnout sometimes is inevitable because there's going to be ebbs and flows in any business. I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the summer slowdown. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be times when we're exhausted and times that we're well rested. <laughs> and so there's, there's going to be times that we're burnout regardless. But if we're actually able to get to a place where we're not giving ourselves excuses for a lack of getting what we want, we can let go of some of those things. We can feel empowered. We can feel more competent. We can feel like we're actually putting together the life that we want and actually adjusting and, and shifting what that beat is. Because I think we, we, many people have very unreasonable expectations based on what everybody else is doing. The person that gets it really easily is like, oh, you have to do this. And it's like, no, no, you really don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're different. So maybe in, in an attempt to take this from a philosophical way of addressing this to a, a practical or a tangible sort of thing is it's identifying kind of where your locus of control is and being able to maximize what's really under your control yes. to be able to address in whatever way necessary the aspects of, of weakness in, in what you're doing, whether it's hiring somebody else, whether it's learning a new skill and being able to adapt to how your understanding of what your goal is, how that changes as you become more familiar with the realities of what is happening with your goal and how that plays out in the world. Well said. Well, thank you. And we are going to jam pack our show notes today with all sorts of articles and things that we came across and referenced during this show. You can find those on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join into our Facebook community, the Modern Therapist Group, and continue to engage in the conversation and share in ways that you address your burnout in these various ways in, in that group. And you can get over your conference burnout stuff by coming to the Therapy Reimagined Conference, which does help to change kind of people's expectations of what conferences can and should be. Yeah. And that'll be October 18th and 19th here in the Universal City neighborhood of Los Angeles. It's got CEs that are being uh, graciously handled by Simple Practice, our presenting sponsor. And it's going to be so much fun. So 
come and join us. And you can find out more about the conference at second.therapyreimaginedconference.com. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Renoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.